Well, I just want to welcome you again. Thanks for coming and spending your Wednesday night with us uh, tonight here at our second uh, large group here uh, at the University of Vermont. Uh, if, uh, if you've been spending any time with us this semester, you know that we've been looking uh, at the life of Peter, uh, a, a really interesting guy, a guy who when he first meets Jesus, Jesus says to him, you're Simon Johnson, right? you're Simon, son of John, uh, but you're going to be called Peter. And in so many ways, what we have been doing this semester is we have been watching the evolution of a man. Right? We've been watching a man becoming who he is called. Uh, last week, uh, we saw, or rather two weeks ago, we saw this man, Peter, deny Jesus three times. Uh, in the moment of Jesus' greatest need, uh, Peter bails, right? He sort of ducks and runs. And this week uh, in Bible study, we have seen Jesus pursue a man who in a lot of ways thinks, after that miserable failure, I've, there's no way God is going to let me back on the team. Most surely I have been cut. But we've seen that Jesus pursues him because not only has Peter not been cut from the team, in a lot of ways, this is the one that Jesus is going to make team captain. And tonight is an important chapter in this man's life. Uh, we are going to see this man who denied Jesus three times stand before a crowd of thousands and preach and save many. We're not just seeing a man become more and more the rock that Jesus said he would be. In a lot of ways, the passage that we're going to look at tonight asks and answers, I think, a very important question. And the question it asks is, who is Christianity for? Right, who is Christianity for? Is Christianity a Western religion or a white man's religion? Is Christianity a religion for people who look and talk like me? Kind of weird looking and strange talking. Is it a religion for smart people? Is it a religion for simple and superstitious people? Is Christianity a religion for rich people or for poor people? Is it a religion for good people or for bad people, uh, the ugly in the world? Who is Christianity for? What I want you to see today is that Christianity is not for one particular kind of person. Right? It is for everybody everywhere. Of all the world religions, Christianity is the most universal and it's the most inclusive. God, wel God welcomes worshipers at his throne from every tribe, from every nation, from every people, and every language. There isn't one particular mold that you've got to fit in order to be a Christian. You don't have to learn a new language, and you don't have to forfeit your culture. There are no racial or social or intellectual or economic barriers that would prevent you from joining God's family. It is, as I've said, right for everybody, everywhere. So if you would, let's turn our eyes and our attention to the passage that is there uh, on the table, but also here, that's uh, going to be projected here on the screen. All right, today's scripture comes from Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2. We've been looking at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This is the next book uh, in the New Testament, Acts 1. So I'm going to go ahead and read, and uh, then I'm going to hopefully share what I think God intends for us to hear today. All right, friends. Well, it's a, it's a lengthy passage, um, but bear with me here, okay? We'll get through it. 
um, the story that we're looking at tonight uh, comes roughly 40 days after Easter Sunday. About six weeks prior, you know, roughly six weeks prior, Jesus had been crucified. He'd been nailed to a wooden cross uh, and killed just outside of Jerusalem. Three days later, right, he was raised from the dead, just like he said he would be. And after the resurrection, Jesus was with his disciples for about 40 days, teaching them about the kingdom of God. Now, I imagine a lot of that conversation had to do with his, his recent death and his resurrection and what those things meant, not just for the disciples there, but for people like you and me, uh, for the rest of the world. This brings us to Act 1, uh, verse 4. Jesus instructs his disciples to stay in Jerusalem. Right? Don't depart from there, he says. The reason being is that they're going to be his witnesses there in Jerusalem, and then in all of Judea and Samaria, and then to the very ends of the earth. But before that can happen, right, they need to stay and they need to wait. Because before they can be his witnesses, not just in Jerusalem and not just in Judea and Samaria, but to the very ends of the earth, they need to receive his Holy Spirit. They need to receive it and be filled by it. Right? Or rather him. Right? They need to be filled by him. I want you to imagine just for a moment like a pool of very calm, sort of glassy water. I want you to imagine a stone dropping from the sky and landing in the middle of that pool and making an enti- like a huge splash. Right? Push! And then I want you to imagine sort of ripples and shockwaves sort of going to the very edges of the pool. Can you imagine, can you picture that in your mind? Because something very similar to that is about to happen, right? Something or rather someone is going to drop from heaven into a a relatively peaceful place, right? And it is going to cause a splash, right? And the shockwaves of this one coming down from heaven is going to send shockwaves and ripples to the very ends of the earth, right? The Holy Spirit coming down into Jerusalem, sending shockwaves the world over. Look at the next paragraph, Acts 2.1. Okay, when the day of Pentecost comes, the disciples are gathered together under one roof. And it says, Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. I want you to imagine, I want you to put yourself in this house with the disciples. Okay, to imagine that you are sitting there with them. The text says that a sound like a mighty rushing wind filled the house. Okay, fills the house that you're sitting what do you think a mighty rushing wind sounds like? Like a mighty rushing wind like a hurricane? Like a mighty rushing wind like a tornado? Or how about like a mighty rushing wind like one of those F-35s or F-18s that are like flying over Burlington almost every Wednesday and Thursday or Friday? I was um, sitting at what was once the block coffee house, it's now Scout Coffee House uh, in Winooski, when one of these lifted off from Burlington, and I'm not kidding you, the entire like building I was sitting in shook. 
But I want you to imagine this thing not just like flying over like the Scout Coffee House in Winooski, but like actually in your living room. <laughs> a jet engine going off in your living room. Surely like um, the coffee that might be sitting on your coffee table is like shaking off the coaster and coming crashing to the floor. Um, books are starting to rattle off the shelf. Uh, the, if you have glass in your windows, they're blown. A mighty rushing wind. Your neighbors hear the sound, and they know that's not fireworks going off in the old north end. This is different, right? And they come running. Look at verse 6, right? People hear this sound, and they are confused, and they start to run to the house where the sound is emanated from, sort of wondering, what the heck was that? Okay? But before the neighbors arrive, something else happens. Something like, like, something like fire. It's not fire. It's akin to it. Um, settles upon the disciples around you. You've all seen what a fire looks like in a fireplace or at a campfire, the color and the form of a flickering flame. Something like it appears before the disciples and appears before you as you were sitting there with them. But if that wasn't strange enough, right, the sound of this mighty rushing wind filling your house and making a mess of things and maybe this fire that is sort of now sort of or something like fire flickering before you, all of a sudden everybody else around you starts speaking in a language you don't understand. Everybody starts speaking, but you don't know what they're saying. I want you to go back to high school. A bunch of high schoolers learning maybe high school English. Or if you're a high school in, in China or a high school in Taiwan, learning Taiwanese or, or Mandarin, Chinese, okay? Everybody's barely passing their high school English class or their high school Taiwanese class. And they most certainly are failing, right, their Spanish class, their high school Spanish class, or in this case, maybe their English class. But I want you to imagine in a blink of an eye, those same high schoolers are all of a sudden speaking fluent Spanish, and I'm talking, they're habla espanol, right? In perfect grammar with a perfect accent. And not only is that happening in this room, but like high schoolers in the next room are coming out and they're speaking perfect French, fluently, just beautiful French. And the others in the next room coming out speaking in perfect Swahili. And the others coming out and speaking in perfect Mandarin. And the others coming out and speaking in, you know, in perfect Russian. I mean, these people... You, you, these are students that you went to high school with, and you're like, this, is, this shouldn't be happening, but it is happening, right? Everyone became like a foreign language expert in the blink of an eye. That's exactly the sort of thing that is happening here, right? A bunch of Galileans who grew up speaking Aramaic and probably knew a handful of Greek are suddenly experts in languages from all over the world. Okay, they are not speaking gibberish, they're not making up words, and they're not drunk, as some suppose. They're not filled with spirits, right? They're filled with the Holy Spirit. They're preaching the gospel, the mighty works of God, in foreign languages, intelligently and fluently. Once they are filled with the Spirit, these disciples are led outside the house where that huge crowd is gathered, right? They heard that sound from the house and they came running. And in verse 6, if you were to look at verse 6, 
right? The people who were startled by a loud sound emanating from the house, sort of what was that, are now startled by the sound that is coming from the disciples' lips, asking, what does this mean? What was once, what was that, is now, what does this mean? And they are amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? In some ways, if it was to happen today, you'd be like, aren't these a bunch of ignorant Americans? <laughs> right? How is it then that we hear them speaking in our own native language? What does this mean? They're speaking to people who live in Parthia and Medes, Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya, visitors from Rome, Cretans, and Arabians. This list might not mean something to you. These are perhaps peoples that you don't recognize, but these are people from every corner of the Greco-Roman world. And all of them are hearing the gospel preached to them. People from the north and people from the south, right? people who live east and west of Israel, all of them, right, hearing the gospel. And they are amazed and they're saying to one another, what does this mean? What does it mean? I'll tell you. What this means is that Christianity, right, and the gospel is not simply for a select few who live in a very particular place. Christianity is not for a bunch of people who look like and talk like the disciples. Christianity is not simply for a bunch of people who look like and talk like me. Right? Christianity is for everybody. Okay, it's for the, it is for those who are gathered in Jerusalem on this day, absolutely. But it is also for those people who live in Judea and Samaria and far beyond. Jesus said that you are going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And that happened, and it's happening still, right, to this very day. What started as a local grassroots community centered on Jesus, right? What started as a local grassroots community centered on Jesus in Jerusalem has since become the largest, the most universal, and most inclusive of all the world religions. Okay. According to the Pew Research Center, there are currently 2.2 billion Christians of all ages around the world, representing nearly a third of the global population. Okay, Christians are geographically widespread, so far flung, in fact, that no single continent or region can claim to be the center of global Christianity. A century ago, nearly two-thirds of the world's Christians lived in Europe. But today, only about a quarter of all Christians do. Today, 37% of the world's Christians live in the Americas, north and south. One in every four lives in sub-Saharan Africa, and one in eight is found in Asia. 
The church is most rapidly growing in places like Nigeria and South Korea and even in China. Right? It is exploding around the world. Not only is the church diverse geographically, right? it's diverse in many other ways as well. I want you to just think about the diversity that's here uh, in this room for a minute. Right? In this room, we have men as well as women. We have social workers and engineers. We have graphic designers and future politicians, future aid workers. We have athletes as well as artists, people from the north as well as the south. We have people who are conservative and liberal, who yesterday might have cast a ballot for the Republican ticket but who might have also cast a ballot for the Democratic side. Students who were born in the United States, as well as students who were born abroad. People whose native tongue is English, but people whose native tongue is Chinese and Taiwanese. Friends, ours is an unlikely gathering. Right? This is an unusual group. You wouldn't have picked it. What brings us together is not a common language. Right? What brings us together is not common interests or a common major. It's not common politics, and it's not a common race. Okay, what brings us together is a universal need. We are all sinners. And what brings us together is a universal savior, why Jesus himself. That is the reason why this diverse group exists here at UVM. A universal need, a universal savior. And this brings me to my second and last point. Okay, if the gospel is for everybody, and trust me, it is, right? Read Acts 1 and 2. It's for everybody. It's so everybody, right, can be saved. The gospel is for everybody because God wants everybody to be saved. You see, you and me and the lot of humanity, we have all decided to turn our backs on God and to sort of live life our own way. And you have made that decision in ways that are great and small. But God has gone out of his way in order to bring us back. God went out of his way in order to save us and to rescue us and to bring us back into a right relationship, not just with him, but with one another, right? And with the world that he entrusted to our care. God has come to restore these broken relationships, right? I know this idea, right, this notion that we are in need of rescue, in need of saving, or in need of cleansing is strange to some of you, and it is just downright offensive to others. But I want to try and explain this to you uh, using the example uh, of my dog, Coulter. Okay? If you know Megan and me, you know that we love our dog, right? Our dog, Coulter. 
And if you know Coulter, you know that he's a freaking good-looking silver lab. He is a darn handsome dog, right, who also loves to snuggle, right? Our dog loves to snuggle on the couch. He loves to snuggle on our bed. He loves pretty much to snuggle anywhere that you are sitting. And because we love our dog, like, we don't mind so much, right? We love him, and we love to snuggle with him. But if Coulter decides to leave our house, right, to go outside, and if he decides to go and roll in a dead squirrel that he might find in a park, or if he decides to, like, roll in some mud, we still love him, but he's not allowed to come back in and jump on the couch or jump on our bed. The dog that we love very much, if he leaves and he gets muddy, he gets dirty, right, he can't, he can't enjoy what he once had. Right? In order for him, the only hope that Coulter ever has of being let back inside and back on the couch and back in our arms, right near to us, is if somebody washes him. That's his only hope of being let back in and restored to that relationship that we had before he left. And here's the thing. This is the one thing Coulter cannot do on his own. Coulter cannot clean himself. As much as he wants to be let back in, and as much as he wants to be back on that couch, the only thing that can happen that would make that possible is if his owner, his master, his lord, right, Megan and me, decide to wash him. That, in a nutshell, is what Christianity is and is all about. God loves us, and he wants us to be with him. He wants us to know his embrace. But all of us have gone outside and we have rolled in the metaphorical mud. And God still loves us. But if we want to enjoy what we lost, if we want to have access and to live life with him and life forever and to know his embrace, he's got to do something for us. And friends, we've got to let him do something for us. We've got to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. If we want to enjoy what we, want, what we once had, we've got to let Jesus wash us of our filth. We've got to let him die, taking the punishment that our sins deserve in our place so that there is none left for us. So we can be washed whiter than snow so we can be clean like Coulter after a bath, right? So we can be let back in, right? No questions asked. God's promise, right? The promise of his son, the promise of his spirit, the promise of the forgiveness of your sins and of life everlasting. All of these promises are for you, right? And they're for your children, and for your children's children. And they, for, they are for all who are far off. Okay, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Who is Christianity for? It's for everybody. And it's so everybody can be saved. If you are here tonight, and you feel like you are outside the fold, like Christianity is new to you, and you feel like you are outside of it, I want you to know tonight, God wants you in. I want you to know 
that God loves you very, very much. And he wants you in. If you are someone who is on the inside, I want you to know that God wants to push you out. And I don't mean outside of his fold, and I don't mean outside of his embrace. But God intends to push you outside of your comfort zone. He doesn't want you playing it safe. He doesn't want you huddling inside and hunkering down with your own tribe. He doesn't want you mixing and mingling with those who only think like you and talk like you and dress like you. He wants you to be a missionary people who branch out and interact with people from all over the world. He wants the gospel to go forth to every nation, tribe, people, and language. And that can start right here, right now. It can start here in Burlington, Vermont. Right? It can start with your friends. It can start with your roommates. The gospel doesn't start and end in this room tonight. Right? The gospel doesn't start and end here. The gospel goes out from here. Okay? Let's pray.